Hey, Brendan Darty with the Dirt Bags Dirt Talk Podcast. Another great edition. Have an outstanding guest today, Cliff Godwin, head coach of the East Carolina Pirates. He's going to be jumping on the show today. I'm really excited to have Cliff come on, um, talk a little bit about, uh, obviously, what's going on in the world, but really want to get inside of uh, Coach Godwin's head and um, one, of, one of the really bright and, and talented young college coaches in the country. Uh, he's built um, a, an unbelievable program at East Carolina but has worked for uh, some of the top coaches in all of college baseball throughout the course of his coaching career uh, and had the opportunity to, to kind of take over his own program. So we're going we're gonna to break it down with, with Coach Godwin uh, today and talk to him about uh, East Carolina. I want to talk to him about uh, his path. Uh, his coaching tree that, that he comes from. Um, it's, it's an amazing tree. Um, he, he played at East Carolina under, uh, obviously, legendary coach Keith LeClaire uh, back when um, East Carolina kind of jumped on onto the national scene. Uh, coach LeClaire was building, building a, a giant, sleeping giant at the time. And uh, now, obviously, East Carolina is known nationally as, as one of the top programs in the country. But Cliff played there. I uh, was a catcher there for, for four years. Um, finished up playing. Moved on to UNC Wilmington, where he started his coaching career. Uh, from there, he was at Vanderbilt as the director of baseball operations, working under Tim Corbin. Uh, went to Notre Dame from Vanderbilt. Was at Notre Dame uh, under uh, Paul Maneri, uh, one who is the head coach at LSU now. Uh, and when when Maneri went from Notre Dame to LSU, Cliff went over to LSU with him. Uh, he then went to UCF to to get that program uh, going onto the national ranks. Uh, then was hired at Ole Miss and worked for Mike Bianco and went to the 2014 College World Series with Ole Miss. Uh, and then had the opportunity to come back to his alma mater at East Carolina. He's been there for six seasons, two Super Regionals, four Regionals, two-time host of the Regionals. Uh, and it, it just just an amazing resume. And I, I'm really excited to talk to to Coach Godwin today. Um, just one of the um, honestly a brilliant baseball mind, um, really intelligent dude. If you really want to get into the the nuts and bolts of the resume, he graduated magna cum laude from East Carolina and has an MBA also from East Carolina. So really bright, intelligent guy, um, very driven. If you've ever met him or been around him, um, you know, just one of the best uh, guys in all of college baseball. 
um, and, and wants what's best for his players and wants what's best for um, East Carolina too as well. So we're excited to get Coach Goblin on the show. Impact Baseball, since 2001, Impact Baseball has been hosting showcase tournaments and ID camps, as well as promoting high school and middle school players all over the country. Impact Baseball has added ID camps and has some big information that's going to be coming out over the next few days. Please follow us on Instagram, Impact Baseball underscore, on Twitter, at Impact Baseball, and online, impactbaseball.com. You can sign up for summer tournaments and also ID camps. Follow all our content, present, and past podcasts on the Dirtbags, on Twitter, at Dirtbag underscore swag, Instagram, Dirtbag underscore swag underscore, thedirtbags.com, and Dirtbags Baseball on Facebook. All right, head coach Cliff Godwin of the East Carolina Pirates joining the show today. Coach, appreciate you taking the time, coming on and uh, sitting down and chatting some baseball with us. Uh, I know a lot, lot, a lot of things have changed over the last couple weeks. Um, what, what have you been kind of doing at, at this point in time, you know, with, with the, the amount of information that you've had, um, we're, we're kind of break, break down kind of what's going on with, with the pirates right now. Well, you go back to, uh, I guess two Wednesdays ago, you know, we're on the bus. We're about to get off the bus at USC Wilmington to play. And you see that the Ivy league is canceling all spring sports. You lose a game at UNCW, you come back, and you just kind of see how things are going. So we were supposed to practice on Thursday. We canceled practice. We met with our guys because we were spring break to Friday. met with them. Hey, if you can go home, go home to basically Tuesday afternoon of last week. You uh, say, hey, everything is closed here. The university is shut down. The weight room. Nobody could come in our hitting indoors. So really, an awkward time going, you know, through your, your closing your facility. So uh, guys moving their stuff out the dorm in March. He just have never seen anything like that. Yeah, I'm so sure. Our first, and, uh, first thing we want to do is make sure we can get everybody home and get them safe, and then figure out well what do they have access to? Because the thing that I just worry about is guys sitting on their couch and watching Netflix and Snapchat, TikTok, Fortnite all day. We did start school online uh, on Monday of this week. So that will give them some things to do. And then the thing I want to do is just make sure they do something, whether it be body weight stuff for an hour a day to just keep a sweat five days a week and try to have some sort of schedule because if you go from being really regimented, really scheduled to doing nothing, whenever that comes back around and you have to do that again, it's going to be really hard for anybody. I'm struggling with it right now, but I'm trying to write down a schedule every night of what I need to do the next day with some times and to just check things off the list because if I get into a mode of shutting my mind off, it's going to be hard for me to get it cranked up again. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's got to be, you know, because – 
the, the, obviously it it's the the information that you know who who knows where things are, but a, a lot of guys are you know they're you, you want them to go out and play in the summer, so you're like you know we, we can't just we we who and and at the time when you were probably telling those guys that it probably was. Um, you know, you didn't know where the season was. You know, hey, we, we, well, this may be two weeks, this may be a month and a half, but we're gonna try to, you know, we we still may try to finish out some games. So it's got yeah, and and for you, you know, college baseball coaches and all baseball people, baseball coaches, you, you're, you're that that routine of what every day is, uh, especially during the season. It's it's difficult to, and it, it came to a sudden screeching halt. Not any, you know, it it's got to be tough. Yeah, you're going 100 miles an hour, and you go into a brick wall, and everything that you work in the off season for is completely shut down. And the thing that I really, and I'm not making light of the situation, because first and foremost, let's worry about our country and the health of our people, and everyone who's been affected and who's going to continue to be affected as we move forward. But just the way our kids found out that like stung for me where we had a team meal at three thirty on Thursday afternoon and then at like four thirty the NCAA puts out a tweet yeah. and puts out on social media that Omaha and the championships are canceled. Yeah. I had another team meeting that night at six to get them back together and you talk about walking into a room, and the guys are devastated. Uh, your seniors are crying. I have the exact information that they saw, nothing more, and probably the first time of their career that Coach Godwin has no answers for. Yeah. I, hey, look, we're in uncharted waters. I don't know what's going on other than the fact I saw a tweet. Nobody has told me EC baseball is not going to play more this year. Now, that has changed since that, but it was just really hard for me to get. It's probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do, to get in front of them and just say, hey, look, we have to take this day by day. I know this is not ideal. This sucks, to be quite honest with you, but we'll get through it, and we'll figure it out. So, um, And it, it changed like day, like every day or every three or four hours there for a while. Now, you know, with everybody's season being canceled, it's more – a status quo, so to speak, and then we're looking forward to, you know, what the NCAA decides, I think, on March 30th of what they're going to do with eligibility of, I guess, the underclassmen. Yeah, that that that's the that's the tough part too. Is you guys, you know, you you obviously feel for for you know the kids that that are the seniors in your program, and and um, you know, I, I was talking to to Chris Finwood last week at Old Dominion and he made he brought up a great point where if you know you give all you give the eligibility and they he wasn't it they weren't in that big of a um you know they didn't have a ton of seniors but it, you, you start giving guys a year back and now your you know your sophomore class that's a that if, if they come back and their sophomores coming back next year again if that's how they do it you got to worry about that class being a draft class as well because they'll be draft eligible. So you could lose, you know, you could go from having this this absorbent amount of guys that you know is is tough to manage at times to 
losing two classes in a row, you know, back to back. So there's got to be some kind of some stipulations in there, hopefully. Well, you know, everybody has talked about the seniors, which because that was their last year, and I, I agree that is uh, the number one priority. And I'm pretty sure I don't know if it's public yet that the seniors will get another year of eligibility back. If you give everybody another year back, it just the dynamics of what we deal with is going to be very difficult. But at the end of the day, this is uncharted water. Sure. We'll figure it out. It won't be easy. Uh, I'm sure there will be some kids that uh, <laughs> that it affects in a negative way, just to be quite honest, if everybody gets a year back. And, um, you just got to manage it. You just got to try to be honest with kids, tell them, you know, this is where they stand, and uh, you just take it day by day. But your roster is going to be a lot bigger in the fall sure. than they ever have if they give everybody a year back. We, we were in a pretty unique situation, too, where we only have four seniors this year. So, uh, and crazy, Matt Bridges, a dirtbag, um, fifth-year senior guy, coming back from Tommy John, having a great season for us. Well, he set up, he was in the ma- uh, a master's program this year, but he set up next fall to go to chiropractor school. Oh, wow. And, what a decision for him. Sure. And at least he's back home where he can discuss it with his family and talk about it. But a really tough decision for a young man who wanted to finish out this year on a high note and then go on and move on to his professional career. And I want what's best for each one of our individual players that are seniors. I want them. What I said is, look, go through it day by day, talk to the people you trust, and then we'll make a, you know, educated decision. And I want you guys to do what is best for you obviously i want them all to come back but i understand in that instance like matt bridges if he wants to move on then i would never fault him for that sure yeah you're in a guy guys like that or you know obviously they want to finish out their their senior years and and you know it gets to that point i think you know when i was finishing playing and and you you probably had had the the look in the mirror at yourself and say you know am am i gonna do this for a living like play play and and call this my living or you know do i need to say it's time this is what i this is what i want to do and you know they've got the time to be able to to look at look at look at it talk to the right people and make those decisions um, you know, we all want to play in the big leagues, but that that doesn't happen. And what and what's the best decision moving forward? You know, is it's difficult. It's got to be difficult for kids because you know you guys were having a great year up to that point, um, coming off a, a, an unbelievable year last year, and just building on that. And you know, I, I think at, you know, obviously, your goal every year is is to get to Omaha, and and you want. Your your kids think that, and they work their butts off to get there. And now, you know, it's it's kind of it's ripped away from them. Um, it's tough. It's a tough pill to swallow for for everybody. You know, especially guys that man that that the last time that they strapped that uniform on was you know a Wednesday, and, and they never had you know they never had the opportunity. I'm starting to think about stuff that it's going through my head and, and it's like, they don't, it's not their fault, you know, that, that, 
that they don't get that opportunity. So it's tough. Yeah, and it, it's really tough. And, and Brandon, the only thing is to save the grace for, for everybody. It's a lot worse for other people than it is for us, even though the thing we love to do, and for me, it's our, my livelihood. Uh, I sleep, breathe, eat BC baseball all the time. And the thing that's been the toughest for me is the human interaction with our players. Yeah. I, I didn't realize how much that means to me because. I'm not married. I don't have any kids. The 36 guys that we have in our locker room this year, they're my family. So all of a sudden, they're not here. Yeah, I can call them. I can text them. But I don't get to have conversations with Alec Burleson or Ryder Giles or Zach Agnos or Seth Cadell face-to-face. And you don't get to work with them on the baseball field. You don't get to talk to them about life uh, on a, a daily basis. And, that's been a huge void for me. Um, and what I did last week, I called all our 2020 commits and went through and just talked to them and said, hey, look, uh, I'll have a lot of free time if you will. If you get bored, call me, FaceTime me, text me, whatever. Uh, I told uh, a couple guys I might learn how to play Fortnite so I can communicate with our players. I played it for about 30 seconds in our team room the other day, and uh, I'm no good, so – uh, it's going to take some coaching by some of our players to get me to be able to play that, I guess, at a high level. No, it's a, don't, 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 my nine-year-old tries to teach me, and I, I'm, I'm beyond, beyond coachable. So on that, on that, on that side of things, on the Fortnite side, too, too much, too much to, to process with it. That's for sure. Yeah, that you brought up a great point that just the, the, you know. The, the relationships, obviously, that you have and, and um, you know, the day-to-day and, and moving with those guys. And, you know, that that brings me to kind of your, you know, your your coaching path um, and and the some of the, the guys that, um, you know, I, I said it in the in the beginning when I when I was doing the the little breakdown of of your resume and things and and. Um, you know, everybody says you take a piece from this guy and a piece from this guy. And, and I mean, you, you've got some legendary pieces. Um, and, and starting with the guy you played for, uh, Coach LeClaire, um, you know, obviously amazing, uh, amazing. N- number one, I, I remember when I was at Elon coaching and, and he, he had kind of just, um, you know, he, he had been at East Carolina, but he was and just what, what an amazing human just person, um, but also a baseball coach. But but the guys that you know you, you've you've worked for, um, you know it's it's just something that not a lot of folks can say that that they've worked for for the guys that you've worked for uh, in this, in, especially in college baseball, and what those guys have done for college baseball. Well, I tell people all the time, Brennan, and it's a long story, but. Back in the spring of 1996, when uh, I was lucky enough that my high school coach was a legend and he had sent players to East Carolina before, and I grew up in Snow Hill, which is 25 miles from Greenville, yep. small town. Nobody knows where it is, uh, but he twisted Gary Overton's arm at the time to take a chance on me because I was actually a better football and basketball player in high school than I was a baseball player, but 
everybody would tell me if you'll concentrate on baseball, that will be the sport that you'll be the best at in college. So uh, he twisted Coach O's arm, and I'd always told my mom I would never go to East Carolina because it was too close to home. Right. I thought she'd be in my dorm, dorm room every weekend. And uh, so I was like, I'll never do that. And of course, I ate those words in the spring of 96. The single best decision of my life was to attend East Carolina University. And at the time, of course, you think you're making a good decision, but, man, the decision was the number one best decision of my life. And I registered in my freshman year, and then Coach Leclerc was, was hired in the summer of uh, 97, and I played for Coach Leclerc for four years. My best friends in my entire life uh, played with, a lot of them have been very successful at the collegiate level. You have Eric Backage at Michigan. You have Nick Schnabel at Michigan. You have Brian Ward at uh, UCLA. You have Clayton McCullough, who is the minor league field coordinator for the Los Angeles Dodgers. Ben Sanderson has coached. Joe Hastings has coached, and now is scouting. Um, you know, an area scout with the Rays. So, just so many guys that are in the press. Sam Nairn is, I think, was going to be the Double A pitching coach for the Washington Nationals, and the list continues to go on and on. And the lessons that I learned here at East Carolina really pushed me probably to go into coaching. My dad was a high school basketball coach. I had a great high school baseball coach as well. But I really went into school thinking I was going to be a lawyer. Yeah. And I was going to go to East Carolina, get my undergrad, and then go into law school somewhere. And that changed after I spent five years in East Carolina and got my undergraduate degree here and then got my MBA as well. And just a random start in my coaching career was I went to uh, see Kenson High School play in the Glaxo Welcome Holiday Basketball Tournament in Raleigh because one of my best friends, Wells Gulledge, was the basketball coach. And the principal at the time, uh, Craig Hill, was the basketball coach when I played basketball at Green Central. And he just stopped me and said, hey, what are you doing? So I just finished up my master's at East Carolina and I wanted to get into college coaching. This is in December of 2002. He says, right off the cuff, well, Ronnie Battle, our head coach, is going to retire after this year. Why don't you come be an assistant coach? I'll create a tutoring position for you this spring, and then you'll be our head coach the next year. And I'm sitting there, you know, at 24, I think, or 23 years old going, wow. <laughs> I didn't know you could get a job offer on the sidelines of, you know, I think it was uh, the old NC State court. Or yeah. was that Reynolds Coliseum? Right. I think maybe um, – but long story short, I took that job in the spring of 03. I was going to be the head coach at Kenton High School in 04. And Coach Scaff called Coach Fulton, my high school coach, and said, I know Cliff's coaching, but I think he wants to get into college coaching. We've got a volunteer assistant job open. So they called me up, him and Randy Hood. They interviewed me on the phone and said, hey, you're not going to make any money, but we'd love to have you. And I said, well, when do you need me? I'll pack my car up. <laughs> what I wanted to do. And I made $8,000 from the summer of 03 to the summer of 04. And I tell that people not to want them to feel sorry for me because everybody looks at me now and goes, look at how much money he makes, but it's a process. And then the next job, the next job I got because Kim Corbin and Eric Backage came to the East Coast Pro Showcase, which was at UNCW, and I was doing all the dirty work. I was doing the field, I was doing laundry, I looked like I had just come off the tobacco field in between games, and I would stand next to Eric Backage, and 
act like I was taking notes and knew, knew what I was doing. And I, knew what I, was doing. I was trying to learn. And Corbin asked Backage and goes, hey, who's that guy that is working on the field standing next to you? And that guy's like getting after it. And Eric's, that's one of my best friends. You know, we play together in East Carolina. He goes, well, you think he'd want to be our director of baseball operations. Well, back then, I didn't know what that was. Yeah, so yeah, like, no I doubt. You know, like at our levels, I mean, we didn't have one at East Carolina. We didn't have one at UNCW. So very, very few, team. very few people had that position. Even, even SEC. You know, I mean, it, back then, it was, it was. There weren't that position yeah. was rare. Right. So I went from making eight thousand to twelve five. Ooh. So uh, got a big raise. Yeah, no so doubt. Thirty like percent raise. So went there, and really, you know, if you talk about being at a place for one year and drinking out of a fire hose and just learning the boosters, the administration, recruiting, practice, organization, and just Tim Corbin, I was really kind of his right-hand man. I learned as much in a year's time as I ever had, and I was so thankful for what uh, Corbs allowed me to do and just trusted me in so many areas and I trusted so much I haven't told a lot of people this story but when I got offered the hitting and catching coach position at Notre Dame the next summer I actually went to Corbs and said hey I'll stay here because that's how much I believe in what's going on now it was a big raise I think I made 30000 yeah. uh salary and it was getting get 10000 in camp but I just believed in what was going on at Vanderbilt so much and just appreciated uh, the working environment that we had there that I would have stayed there. And I said that to young coaches that are always looking for the next job. And it's really society. Everybody wants to look for the next best thing. The grass is always greener. And I would just say, do the best job you can wherever you are, and somebody will, will notice. And if it's a good fit, move on. If not, really stay in the fight with uh, the people that you're you're with, because if you get into this profession to make money, you're in the wrong profession. Because you're never going to get your bang for your buck for the amount of time that you put into coaching at the Division One level, in my opinion. Uh, because you work a lot, you're on your cell phone a lot. It's just it's twenty four seven. So went from there, went to Notre Dame, was at Notre Dame for a year. Awesome experience. Really cold, <laughs> southern guy. Um, had no idea that it could be that cold and you have to play baseball. So was there, and then Coach Maneri got hired as the head coach at LSU. So he took us to LSU. We were able to, you know, get that going. And in 08, we won 23 games in a row. We're a national seed when Omaha put the old box uh, out in a winning way, even after losing game one to Irvine in a super regional. And then I went with Terry Rooney to uh, UCF. And when we got there, and this is no disrespect to the, the coaches that were there, it just was, it needed some work. And that was probably the hardest year for me as a coach. But looking back on it, those three years at UCF might have been as beneficial to me from a coaching, a recruiting standpoint of any place. Because up until that point, to be honest with you, friend, kind of been on the fast track of going to big programs. And when you're at LSU, you know, if I call –
we were probably fifth, sixth, seventh on the pecking order in the state of Florida, uh, and nobody wanted to come to UCS. So, and I was dropped off in the state of Florida that I had visited maybe once or twice. Once when I went to Disney World when I was five years old, but had no idea the landscape of Florida, the high schools, the contacts. But I was there for three years. Jeff Palumbo, who is now our associate head coach here and recruiting coordinator, we worked hand-in-hand together as two assistants. So two things. I met Jeff, and the second thing is you really learn how to recruit when nobody wants to come to you. (laughs) (laughs) No doubt. (laughs) And I I was happy. I wasn't looking to go anywhere. We had got UCF back into a regional our third year, and the Ole Miss job came open, and Coach Bianco called me, and uh, I really, I, I don't, I definitely wasn't big leaguing him at all, but I wasn't like going after the job sure. because I had a good job. And I went and visited Oxford, Mississippi, a lot like Eastern North Carolina. I'm a, you know, country boy at heart. Yeah. I don't like big cities. Living in Orlando is awesome because you can throw baseball and find a player. Yeah. But obviously, a lot of concrete, a lot of traffic. So. Oxford just felt home. And the last time I had been in, at Ole Miss was when I was coaching at LSU in 08. It was Grove Bowl weekend. Eli Manning threw up first pitch on Saturday. There was like 11,000 or 12,000 people there. And I'm like, man, this is pretty cool. Yeah. So I go there for three years, and Coach Bianco was awesome to me. Carl Lafferty's one of my best friends. Had great memories. We got Ole Miss to Omaha in 14, which was the first time in like 42 or 47 years. So really awesome. And then the East Carolina job came up available. And, you know, the stars have to align for you to have the opportunity to come back to your alma mater. Uh, just because they have to make a coaching change, you have to be in a position in your coaching career where they look at you as a viable option. And just been blessed, man, to work for a lot of great coaches. I mean, you think about two coaches that have won national championships and Tim Corbin who's won multiple and then Palmineri's won one. Mike Bianco's the longest tenured head coach in the SEC, Coach Gaff. Uh, what a blessing for that to be my first like collegiate job and be around a great person and a great mentor. Um, and Terry Rooney, who's one of my best friends, to, to really be in the grind with him for three years at UCS. So been really blessed. And then we got the opportunity to come here, and you know things have gone really well, and we've worked ourselves off, and a lot of credit goes to our support staff that's out there grinding all the time. No, no, no question. It's uh, it, it is it's 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 a great story, and and you know what what I what I love about it is you know I I, I was in I. I you know the times have changed, obviously, and and there's a lot of guys out there that um, that they don't know. Um, kind of not a lot, but uh, you know there, there's there's some out there that still think that hey man, I, I I'm gonna get this job on you know just the 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 grind of making you know when I first started at Elon I was making you know two hundred and sixty two dollars a month. Um, <laughs> And they and they, you know, I'd get a check every month for it, um, and and you know, and then just like you said, you know, you 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 get an opportunity and you you 
you stick with, hey, I, I, I'll tell you this, and probably something that you didn't know, and and Eric Backage didn't know, but you know, I, 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 Eric took that Clemson volunteer job. I think he took it in like January or December. Well, I, I, yeah, I interviewed for it, and and Coach Leggett offered it to me, and. Mike Kennedy at Elon had just gotten the position to full time um, with benefits, um, and and just like you know, I was single at the time, didn't have a family, and it was a tough decision. But um, as much as 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 you know, Coach Kennedy had done for me, um, you know, it, it was. That that was the opportunity. I, I stayed at Elon, um, and and great decision. It, uh, I felt like and and um, you know, but ultimately it's that, just like you said, it's the the you know the grass isn't always greener, but it's you, you know you got to be be present and be where you are, um, at at that particular time. Don't don't walk around trying to find the next best thing. Sometimes the best thing's right there, right there in front of you. You know and. And you're in you're in the per, you're in a spot where you're back at at East Carolina where you played and and you have you know I I don't think that there's anybody more perfect for the job um, than you there with the the amount of your your blood's probably you know purple and gold and um with 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 you know just your relationship of, of where you grew up and playing there and, and being a part and, and having a lot of pride to it but you you, you managed um you know you were magna cum laude yeah i had to dig through and and not a lot of people i'm sure know that but graduated from east carolina magna cum laude uh and then you you mentioned that you had a business degree an mba from from east carolina as well um talk about how you know cuz cuz again your 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 teams um, academics is, you know, a huge part of college athletics, and and you take a lot of pride. If if people follow you on Twitter or, or um, you know, on on the website or social media stuff, and and um, you're very proud of your teams when you know they've had a long stretch of 3.0 and and better GPAs as a team. Um, so I, you know, that that's an important piece, obviously, in college athletics. But for you, it's really important. Not that my dad would want me to fail classes or anything, because he's old school. But my mom was the one behind the scenes academically going, "Hey, no, no, like you're going to get A's. Like yeah. you're, the expectation for you is to get A's." And also, my grandparents. My grandparents were tobacco farmers, so I always tell the story. People are probably tired of hearing about it, but in the summers, I worked in the tobacco fields and. I actually enjoyed it because it was a time I could be with my grandfather, who uh, was a huge figure in my life and went to every sporting event that I ever played in in high school. Um, and the hard work and the work ethic and the blue collar, it came from working on the farm because back then you're playing Legion baseball. And I still had to get up at 6, 6.30, go work, and then whatever – I need to leave work to go to the field, and that's when I left. And I tell our team this, and so they understand where I come from. Like being tired or like work, like that's there's 
no excuse. I don't I don't live in that world. And the reason is because when in the summers I would strike out three times in a Legion game, nobody said, hey, were you too tired today? They just said, get your butt back up tomorrow morning, go to work and figure out how you can play better tomorrow. Right. Um, because that's how we roll. And it really was a family thing. But So I came to college with a strong academic background. My mom had pushed me. And I – uh, was a two-time academic All-American here. And, and the only reason, and I tell this part of the story, because everybody gets a pothole at some point in time or a bump in the road. And so I had been an academic All-American my redshirt sophomore year. My redshirt junior year, my shoulder had been bothering me for over a year. Couldn't really figure it out what was going on with it. Um, I was platooning with Clayton McCullough. I felt sorry for myself, and I just stopped going to class. And so my redshirt junior year, I made a 2.5. I took 12 hours. I made an A, B, C, and D. I had never made a C in college, obviously never a D. And the professor gave me the D. I should have failed the class. And I actually hit two home runs on game one against UNCW, um, the last conference weekend series. And so, of course, that was perfect timing for me to walk outside to tell my parents, hey, uh, I got a 2.5 this semester. And they looked at me and go, what did you do? And I said, nothing. I didn't get a class. I didn't study. I got an A, B, C, and a D. And I'm really lucky I got the D in the visual basic class because I shouldn't have. Um, but I say that to say in the next year, uh, I went into grad school and was an academic All-American. So I was a two-time academic All-American. And in baseball here in East Carolina, uh, Sam Nairn's a two-time academic All-American. I'm a two-time academic All-American. But I could have been maybe the only three-time academic All-American in our program history if I hadn't felt sorry for myself sure. in my junior year. And so that has just led me into, at least I can get in front of a recruits and their families and say, hey, look, I'm not just some head coach that says do good in school. I actually backed it up except for one semester. But our kids know it. I'm a big believer in having a elite mindset and how you do anything is how you do everything. And if you're going to cut corners academically, then there's going to be a drill that you don't like on the baseball field or something in the weight room that you don't like. Well, you're going to cut corners in that. So really, in my opinion, the classroom teaches you more self-discipline than any other area that we can put our kids in. And when you think about that, why wouldn't you push your kids academically? Because it's going to teach them, if nothing else, yes, they're going to have more knowledge of whatever subject area, but it's going to teach them to do things that they don't necessarily like. I didn't love school. Nobody loves, like, opening a book and reading it in college, <laughs> and especially now with all the distractions, but I didn't ask you, do you love doing it? I am telling you that it is a necessary, so to speak, evil if you want to have choices down the road. Evan Volaba, who was a player here and you know got drafted last year, early in his career, he said that he wanted to go back and work on the farm. And I said, Vol, that's awesome, but don't make that the only decision, the only option you have. If you do bad in school, you have no choice. You're, you're going there. That's where you're going. But if you do good in school, then at least you can say, I chose to be a farmer. My grandparents were farmers. There's nothing wrong with being a farmer, but don't make that be something that you have to do because you have no options because you have not done well in school. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it, own the farm. 
You know, you want to go to school, get your degree, and and buy a farm yourself. You know, I mean, I think that's 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 great advice for for guys. And and you 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 do a lot with, um, a, you know, a good friend of mine that uh, Brian Kane and and um, I don't I don't know st- how involved you are, but I know that you a lot of that is involved in in your program um just you know for me as an outsider looking in and and um you know watching your guys play and watching you know the the things that you say and, and some of your interviews and and things like that is you know does the mental game um is that a is that a piece as well that um obviously you got you got the physical guys, the the physical, you know, the guys that can play. That's a piece, but then it's the 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 practice and the work ethic, and there's a lot of pieces that go involved. Is it are involved? Or, or is, is the mental game something that you know? Because I know Coach Bianco is a big proponent of it. When when we first started with Kane, you know, there was only it was TCU and and. Ole Miss, and and when I was at Coastal, it was Coastal and a few other schools. And now uh, he, he's built built a bigger bigger following. But is that a big piece of of kind of what you would try to instill in your players, the mental game stuff? Brendan, if you went and asked like our players, you went and you interviewed them, you polled them about how important the mental game is, they would tell you somewhere between eighty and a hundred percent of the game is mental. And I use Alec Burleson for an example. His freshman year, two-way player, now Burley had to have his appendix taken out um, in the middle of the season, so that hindered him a little bit. But he would tell you the biggest difference between his freshman year and his sophomore year, it was no hitting mechanic. It was no workout. It was the mental game. To just focus on quality of bats. I mean, Burley's such a competitive human being that he, he's more like me, probably me, player member coach, where you, you just want to win. So if nobody tells you, hey, just worry about having quality at bat. Don't worry about batting average, because batting average you can't control. And he really started buying into it. Now, it's something he has to work on every single day because he puts so much pressure on himself. But you can control having a quality at bat. You cannot control getting a hit. And once you can switch your mindset to that, then you can become the best player in my mind that you are supposed to be. And all of our guys, we do a daily schedule every night, and 15 minutes of that time block during your daily schedule is uh, at least five minutes of the mental game. Now, some guys might do mental imagery. Some guys might do meditation. Some guys might do more than five minutes, but a minimum of five minutes of your day has to be a uh, mental game. Some of it might be just watching uh, a highlight clip of yourself. I can't tell you, this year I sent Lane, and I got our people to do it, but Lane Hoover put a lot of pressure on him at the beginning of the year. It was nothing mechanically. He just was trying to do too much. Put a highlight clip with music that he liked from last year and just showing his opposite field hits that he would get the line drives. And all of a sudden, he just starts watching that every single day, and he starts playing better. Even Alec Burleson, who didn't start out really, uh, you know, to the Burleson standard of everybody else performing at the beginning of the year, 
did the same thing for him. Now, watching that video, we noticed that his hands were a little bit lower this year than last year for no reason. He just had kind of worked himself into it. So that made him feel more comfortable. And then all of a sudden, we go to Charlotte, and he just, you know, has a unbelievable weekend. And then he went on to have an unbelievable weekend, and I think he was conference hitter of the week. So. What's the um, last? You know, I I know you're you got a lot that that um you know uh, we got some time, but obviously um you know you, you guys you're you can't can you guys be on camp with your staff? Are you guys having like basically phone meetings and and just trying to obviously um kind of you start to kind of prepare for. Um, the next phase, you, you know, this season's pro- not nothing's going to go forward. So the next phase of, of every college coach is um, the the recruiting side and, and moving on to that. Are you guys, as a staff, kind of kind of putting putting your plan of attack together? Um, you kind of know your what your class is and and what your needs are and and um, building to that and then. Obviously, something comes into play where it's got to change. Then, then it changes, but it, it's business as usual in a little bit, kind of a different, different format. Well, like I said, it's, it's everything you know has changed once the season has been canceled. So, guys that maybe were scheduled to go to summer ball, but were already having a heavy workload, now they're still going to go to summer ball. Sure. Where, you know, we had talked as a staff before. Hey. You know, C.J. Mason was taking on a lot of workload out of the bullpen as a freshman. He's not going out this summer. Well, then the season's canceled. And you're like, well, now we can let him go out for a little bit. Right. You know, maybe the first half and then bring him back home after the first half so he can pitch some more. But really, first and foremost, we're worried about our kids' safety, our coaching staff safety. So we're communicating and really just talking to them what they have available, what they can do. Um, and really trying to be specific for a guy like Zach Agnos that we want to work on his speed. You know, his workouts are uh, tailored to trying to get faster, and then you have your weight gain guys, so their workouts are tailored to gain strength and gain weight. So we're trying to get really individualized during this time and kind of take the two-week blocks and see you know, hey, this is the first two weeks. All right, let's at the back end of the second week see where we are in the country, and here's the next two weeks. So kind of take in two-week blocks. And like I said, the academics, they, they've got that part going on, so at least they have something to take up a little bit of their time sure. today, and they're continuing to train their mind academically. And then once we can get through this, then hopefully we'll be able to see them in person at some point in time. Yeah, no no question. And, and ho- hopefully – the the summer the summer playing and and will we'll open back up because I know a lot of people are are chomping at the bit obviously to to get get some type of of baseball going um, and and you know it is going to change some some summer leagues that where you know some guys that didn't have the opportunity or or just because of of the workload that. You know, now those guys are all going to need uh, a little bit extra work, um, especially in the summer, uh, to, to kind of get themselves prepared in the fall. So, 
you know, there's still a lot to be done. I know that, and and I appreciate you you taking the time out today to to come on the show. I mean, it, it's amazing. Um, I, I I want you know great great information, but also just you know an amazing stories and and just the background of what well, a lot of people don't don't get the to to hear all that information they just kind of say oh yeah well he, he's he's the head coach at east carolina and and he's yeah that's that's great he, he he's you know living the life of luxury but not, not a lot of people you know get to hear the stories of of you know picking tobacco and and you know, making eight making eight thousand dollars a year, um, to you know, it take, takes a lot of work to get where you're at, and and it's, I, that's that's the kind of stuff that I like to hear, is is how guys, you know, you you you're, you you appreciate, you take so much pride in what you do, and and you know, you're so proud of where you're at, um, and and but it's also where you came from too, you know. I tell our kids all the time that you look at the people that are the most successful, and it doesn't have to be baseball player, basketball player, coach. Just look at anybody that's the most successful in whatever the field they're they're in. And it's not accidental. Success is not accidental. Unless you win the lottery or you inherit a ton of money, the success is not accidental. And I'm not talking about me. But just go through anybody that you really respect and go look at where they came from and the amount of times they had to fail to get where they are today and the work that they had to put in. One of my favorite sayings, and I'm not trying to be long-winded, but this stuff, it helps me when I talk about it, but hard work guarantees you success, but it doesn't guarantee you success tomorrow. In a society that is all about Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok and everything else where everything is instant hard work is not going to guarantee you success tomorrow but it will guarantee success if you stay consistent but the problem is people want it okay well if it's not going to happen tomorrow i want it in a week well it might not happen in a week i wasn't an all-conference player at east carolina until my fifth year so do you think there was a lot of work in between my freshman year and my fifth year senior year absolutely and you go through anybody and it's like that, and there's story after story, but the ones that can stay motivated, stick to the process, stay consistent with their work ethic, they're going to find success in some, but it might take a year, it might take two years, it might take five years, and that's the hardest thing for the human mind to grasp, especially, the, the cell phone stresses me out more today than it did five years ago. Sure. And yeah. I think you got to spend time away from that cell phone, man, because it will make your mind go all over the place and really distract you from probably things that are important to you and you have to cut things out of your life that are distracting you from what your end goal wants to, that you want your end goal to be yeah no, no question yeah it's it's uh you're, you're right the the cell phone can be uh for for everybody you know it, it, it's just but but it's 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 amazing, um, you know. We, we really appreciate you you coming on coming on the show today. Um, I know that uh, you know that w- there's been some success with um, the podcast, and and we, we, you know we've had we've had success. I, I'm I'm pretty fired up about it. We've had some great guests, but I know you know you're going to take it to the next level. 
um, especially for for Trey Daly. I'm sure he's going to jump on this podcast and. <laughs> He, he he may he may listen to it a thousand times, so that's gonna up our uh, up our hey, up our I listeners. Say Andy Parton, but, you know, I, that, I'll, I'll take Trey. He may he may listen to the very beginning of it, and then but <laughs> but you know Trey is gonna gonna um, jump all over and and um, he always does, but this this one's going especially close to him. But I I, I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, good luck. Obviously, we, we will hope to see you uh, sooner rather than later. Um, and and wish you guys the best of luck. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks for having right. me, buddy. And I appreciate everything that you do and all you guys that uh, coach kids, man. That's a really important part of the development of people. And I appreciate that. Appreciate it, Cliff. Thanks. What an amazing guest, Cliff Godwin, head coach of the East Carolina Pirates. Can't thank him enough again for coming on the show. A lot of great information uh, just with the times that we're in right now. Um, it's it's difficult to, to put into words and try to figure all this out, but he kind of gave us a little perspective. He gave us a look inside the, the Pirates program how they do things. And I look at his amazing um, path and career into uh, where where he's gotten and, and what he's looking to do moving forward uh, with that program. Again, can't, can't thank Coach Godwin enough for coming on the show. Uh, thank all our sponsors, Impact Baseball, 301 Catching, and the dirt bags. Follow us on social media at dirtbag underscore swag, dirtbag underscore swag underscore on Instagram, thedirtbags.com, and on Facebook, dirtbags baseball.